You're listening to an episode from our Design Thinking Season, a series of conversations with people talking about their ideas and experiences with the design thinking process, universal design and inclusive design. Hi, I'm Lily. And I'm Juliette. We are talking today with Eileen Diskin, entrepreneurial specialist with the UCD Innovation Academy, environmental scientist and professional facilitator. You're very welcome to the podcast, Eileen. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself to begin? Yeah, of course. So thank you very much for asking me along on this sunny afternoon. Um, So I've worked here in UCD for nearly 10 years now in a little unit called the Innovation Academy. I teach things like creative thinking, social entrepreneurship, sustainability. Um, I came into the Innovation Academy with a background in environmental science, as you said there at the start. Um, I did a PhD looking at uh, wild flamingos and diseases in wild flamingos and their environments. Um, And yeah, that's, that's why I'm here today. That's been great hearing a little bit about your background. Um, Before we get started, can you just talk to us about what Lego is? Yeah, of course. Uh, So we were talking about uh, this at the start there. So um, kind of easy question to some, I think. People who have played with Lego, of course, know what it is. It's a kind of plastic, although I think moving in a, a sustainable direction, plastic, colorful toy that you can use to build, to build cool things. And a lot of kids uh, love it. Awesome. That sums it up. So can you talk about the need for physical prototyping for idea development? Of course. Yeah. So I think a lot of times um, if you think you have an idea or you do have an idea or a solution, um, whether it's a product, a service, an app, a new way of doing things, uh, it can be really difficult to explain that to somebody just using words. I think, you know, even maybe listening to, to me talking now, you know, you're, you're focused or you're not focused, you're listening, you're not listening. Uh, with physical prototypes, it allows you to create something uh, that you can put into somebody's hand or that you can show somebody that you can get them to interact with. And the value of physical prototypes as opposed to just uh, telling somebody about your idea is that you can really see how they engage with it. Uh, Do they use it like you were expecting they would use it? Are they engaging with it like you had hoped they would engage with it? Um, And in doing that, having a prototype that you can test with potential users, potential customers, you can get some really good feedback on an idea. Um, Whether it's a hand-drawn prototype, we call it a napkin sketch, really kind of uh, rough and ready, uh, something that you might make with cardboard or with Lego, something that you might create on a 3D printer. Um, There's a range of prototypes that you might want to use, but uh, generally speaking, it's really good for getting feedback on a a potential idea. What do you think is motivating the design movement? Is it a fad? One thing that I think has contributed to the popularity of design and design thinking in recent years, I, I was reflecting on this recently, is social media. And I think through social media, I'm the, the, the various platforms, whether it's uh, TikTok uh, or Instagram or Facebook, um, I think what social media does is that it allows really cool solutions, really valuable solutions, really powerful solutions to be shared with a wide audience. Um, so, so the really cool things that uh, designers are doing, uh, that different companies are doing, different individuals are doing, uh, that can really make a big difference to somebody or to, to a group of people. Those can be uh, shared. And I'm thinking about when I came across just this past weekend, uh, kind of scrolling Instagram in, in the morning in bed, uh, an app called Be My Eyes. Um, and some, some uh, Instagram page I follow, I think called the Good News Movement, posted about the app, Be My Eyes. And that app connects volunteers with people who are visually impaired or blind. And uh, the volunteers help that individual with a problem, whether it's reading the expiration date on a carton of milk, uh, 
helping them decide what shirt looks better. Um, and I think things like that, you know, when they're, they're shared on social media and people see those, they see the potential of design, they see the value of design, they see that with design we can create a better tomorrow. And I think that is inspiring to people. I think that kind of, you know, gets people excited and energized to think, what might I be able to do? What might I be able to design to make somebody's life uh, that little bit easier, that little bit better? Um, so that's kind of my personal take on it, why I think design is increasingly uh, used and viewed as something that's this potentially powerful because it's all about that piece of focusing in on a user, specific person, specific problem to be solved. And through social media, I think those really awesome solutions can be shared. Uh, because design makes a better tomorrow, as you said, um, can anyone develop a design ad attitude and how can a newbie start out? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I think design is something that is broadly accessible. I think um, for somebody that's looking to get into design, the first thing I think that's important to have is really that desire, that passion for creating a better tomorrow. I think you need to be really uh, convinced that design can provide valuable uh, solutions to, to people. Um, I think in terms of starting out something I would, would tell a lot of our students or participants on, on the programs I teach is to go out into the world uh, with open eyes, with an open mindset. We call it seeing with fresh eyes, so seeing possibilities, seeing opportunities where otherwise you might not. Um, we do a challenge called uh, the phone box challenge, and it's all about trying to come up with a creative use and innovative use for a phone box, something that, you know, otherwise we might just walk past without thinking about twice. We certainly don't really use them to make phone calls anymore. Um, so I'd say next time you're walking down the street and you see a phone box, think about what else could that be? What are the opportunities? What are the possibilities? And I think for somebody that's really looking to start out, it's getting into the mindset of, of seeing those opportunities, of seeing possibilities everywhere in the world around you. I mean, with the phone booth thing you were talking about, I saw it just on my Instagram scrolling and I like stopped on it because I thought it was really interesting just because of this class. Um, I saw someone had turned an old booth into like a little library where people bring books and leave them behind and then like mm -hmm. take a book and then leave a book. So just like a little free library, which was really cute. I liked it. Yeah, I've seen that one. I saw an example from Japan where they converted a, a disused phone booth into a fish tank. So there were real live fish, goldfish swimming around in it. Um, I've seen ones here in Ireland that are converted into kind of a health and safety stations with a defibrillator in them. Um, so I think, yeah, the, the phone booth is, is just kind of the introduction into getting into that mindset of looking for opportunities everywhere in the world around you. So, so whereas, you know, somebody might just see, oh, that, that phone booth is gross, it's old, it's stinky, um, to, to see potential in it. So is social media like TikTok and Instagram that you were referring to earlier making more people have an interest or a deeper interest in design and maybe like a future career in design? Yeah, I would certainly think so. Again, I think what social media is doing is allowing designers, product designers, service designers, whatever it might be, uh, even just somebody at home who, who comes up with a, a cool idea and makes it happen. Um, I think social media is, is the platform really through which those cool solutions, those awesome solutions, inspiring solutions are showcased. And I think people seeing those think, oh, actually using design, I might be able to come up with something as well myself. Um, so I think there's, it's, it's a funny one. I think, you know, social media gets a lot of uh, blame for various things, but I do see a lot of potential in it as well as, um, you know, a, a source of inspiration for people. For people listening in who have an idea for a new product service or anything else, what would you suggest they do to make it happen? 
One thing that I suggest, and it's something that we see in a lot of uh, students that do courses with us or uh, people who participants on, on the, the various offerings that we have, we have a lot of people who come into us with an idea. You know, I've had this idea for five years, I want to make it happen. And you know, people get very um, invested in that one idea. And I think that's great. Um, a lot of people talk about keeping an ideas journal. So you know, if you do your best thinking when you wake up first thing in the morning, have an ideas journal next to your bed. If you do your best uh, thinking and kind of idea generation when you're out walking the dog, uh, have, a, have a, a note on your phone where you can keep track of all of your ideas. And I think that's great, but I think to step back for a second, um, what I suggest is to also keep a um, problems journal, a challenges journal. So as you're out and about seeing things either that frustrate you, uh, that bug you, that annoy you, um, things where you see an opportunity, to also keep a, a, a problems, uh, problems list, a challenges list, and then work from that to try to come up with uh, new cool solutions. Um, do you think that ideas come from this problem journal? I think that's where they start, but I think, you know, in order to develop solutions to the problems that you've identified, um, there are a few different approaches to that creative process. I think some people would say, I'm not creative at all. I never come up with good ideas. Um, and there are a few different games, ideation games that we play um, in order to inspire that solution uh, generating process. So um, we've won where, you know, we give every student a paper clip and say, come up with 100 different uses for this paper clip um, and see how many they can get. Um, we do ones that are just kind of uh, ideation prompts. So, okay, we want you to come up with a solution to this problem, but now you have one minute and all of the solutions you come up with in the next minute have to cost less than five cents. Okay, another minute now they have to all cost more than a million euro. Okay, now another minute you have to come up with a solution that's something Justin Bieber would sing about. Um, okay, now you have a minute come up with solutions inspired by the color blue. So those sort of prompts to help somebody with that creative process, I think, and the different ideation games, um, alternative uses. Um, we do other ones, mix and match, combining two existing products or services into something new. I think there are a lot of tools that can be used to help with that uh, ideation, that solution generating process. Um, the UCD Innovation Academy uses all of these tools and it's kind of at that intersection of science and engineering. Um, how would you describe how they all intersect? Um, yeah, so uh, the modules that we offer in the Innovation Academy are all open to, to students from across UCD and we really value and um, really want that multidisciplinary kind of approach because I think, you know, if you have a, a team of students who are all studying um, botany or they're all studying environmental science, there's a very particular way of thinking and a way that people within that discipline approach problems. Um, I think if you bring together teams of students instead of four people studying environmental science, if you have somebody studying um, ecology, somebody studying business, somebody studying law, somebody studying ancient history, you get very different perspectives on a problem and then I think as well with that you get different approaches and you get different solutions ultimately to, to the problems that you're looking at. So um, the multidisciplinary approach that we use, I think, is, is really key in, in making sure that solutions that are developed, designed, implemented, um, have that sort of uh, broad, comprehensive uh, grounding. So kind of coming off of that, you said that uh, UCD student, like you have UCD students from different courses. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you notice when they're doing like an exercise like that with the paperclip that students from architecture, students from business, or students from science tend to have similar like 
solutions to those problems like that's a great question for the paperclip (laughs) and like I'm sure there's overlap but just like is there a type of answer that different courses would give yeah I think I mean fantastic question I think yeah what somebody is able to come up with as a solution kind of at least initially is very much grounded in their previous experiences their knowledge their sort of you know what's inside of them um so I think you know we give the paper clip to somebody who's studying fine arts and they might say oh let's melt it down and create a little mini sculpture out of it um if you're studying sorry giving that uh paper clip to somebody studying uh ecology they might say oh that would actually be great for like um holding up a growing plant. Um, so I think that's why uh, it's important in approaching design thinking generally is that you approach it with an open mindset. You don't let your preconceived ideas of you know ways of doing things or approaches influence too much what, what you do. That said, I think there's value in making sure that you're leveraging your, your knowledge and experience and kind of uh, ways of doing things. But yeah, certainly um, we've, we do another one actually kind of following on from that question where we send Uh, teams of students with their paper clips to different locations around campus. Uh, We might send one group to a cafe, we might send one group to the lake, we might send another group uh, to the student bar, give them that challenge and then see if their location influences the kinds of solutions they're coming up with. And I think again, yeah, your your location and sort of what's in the world around you at that moment in time can can certainly affect the the solutions. Um, And for these like exercises, do you tend to try and group students from different courses altogether or do you just let them form their own groups because I'd guess that they would kind of mold to their course Mm. friends who they know if you didn't yeah we we very intentionally um mix up teams based on you know like we put a fourth year um law student with a first year science student with a second year english student um the students sometimes especially on the first day of a module with us kind of grumble and oh i want to be with my mates but like i think i think by the end of the module by the end of the course they see the value in that multidisciplinary approach so it can be a little bit uncomfortable i think working with people who think in different ways to you um, but i think one you're able to reflect on what that experience meant, what that experience of teamwork meant, um, I think I think there's a lot of value in it. And it's not an uncommon approach in some of the um, bigger design firms. I, I know IDEO based in California, I, a lot of their teams that are actually designing new products, new services um, are very intentionally multidisciplinary as well. I know you talked a lot about the ideation process and um, the designing process. Uh, What do you have to say about kind of like implementation of um, those designs? Yeah, and I think kind of going back to one of the earlier questions on prototyping and the value of, you know, going from an idea to an actual real life thing can be very scary. So what we suggest in kind of that shift from a solution to to real world implementation is that you start small. So maybe you do just start with a a short conversation, run your idea past somebody. And we say generally don't don't say it to your mom because your mom will love everything that you say and do. but I think, yeah, starting off uh, with very rough and ready prototypes in order to get feedback, and it's an iterative process, so it kind of can be can be difficult to accept, but most likely your first idea, your first solution isn't quite ready to be implemented. So if you go out, you get feedback on it, you iterate, you make something that little bit better, that little bit better again, ultimately then uh, you'll, you'll be uh, with something, a product or service that's kind of ready to go in, in the real world. After you come up with an idea or a prototype, what are the next steps? 
I think once you've got an idea and you've made some prototypes, it's a matter of, uh, we say, getting out of the building with that prototype in order to get feedback. Um, and I think that feedback then is essential in developing sort of the next iteration. So again, it can be an uncomfortable process for a lot of people. You know, you've, you've had this great idea, you've developed it. Um, maybe you started by spotting a, a really interesting problem. And then that, that bit where you actually have to get out and get feedback on it can be really uncomfortable, but I think very important. And when do you know that feedback process is over? Is it ever over? I'd say, you know, if you're doing design thinking right and product design right or service design right, it's never over. You're constantly making sure you're engaging with your users to make sure that it's still working like they expect. I mean, I think we've seen, you know, with the likes of COVID in the past couple of years that things can change literally overnight or over the course of a few days or weeks. So I think you constantly need to make sure that um, your users are, uh, your customers are engaging with the product that, in the ways that you might have hoped and that that's not changing over time. Can you talk about the role of a facilitator? What are the benefits of having someone facilitate a group design sprint? Yeah, so I think, you know, looking at what uh, value, what benefits a facilitator brings to a, a group that's looking to, uh, you know, undertake a design sprint, I think having somebody external to the process is is super helpful because um, a lot of times what we what we say in design thinking is that there's a lot of value in having a, a team where there is no hierarchy. So everybody's kind of on on the same level. I think that helps with sort of people feeling um, psychologically safe to share their solutions, to share their um, ideas. Um, I think that's great. And you kind of need that flat structure in, in the team. Um, but at a certain stage, you do need kind of the adult in the room, either calling time or saying, OK, it's, you know, we need to move on to the next stage. Um, and I think that's one of the, the places where a facilitator can really provide a lot of value, a lot of benefit is just making sure that the process itself is on track. I think that facilitation is a bit of an art. How do you stay fresh and keep on track? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, for me, I think kind of you know, reflecting back on what I was saying around uh, the value of social media um, and seeing the different things, the different solutions, the products that are, are shared on social media. Something I do to stay fresh is just um, really try to keep up to date on the cool things that are coming out, the cool solutions, the cool products, the, the latest innovations, because I think um, having that sort of up-to-date knowledge and I think up-to-date energy on what's going on is really important because um, I think it's it's key really it's essential that uh you know if you're you're working with a group you're facilitating a group in a design thinking process um that you're mindful really of of uh, keeping the challenges based in the real world grounded in real world problems real world challenges so i think yeah just staying up to date on what's out there staying motivated staying energized uh is is really important so now that COVID is sort of fading out um in the future, are you excited for moving back to in-person fully with the Innovation Academy, or do you think you'll still kind of use some of those factors and things like Zoom in the future? I Yeah, I think, you know, moving forwards, I think we'll be doing both. I think, we, you know, I, I moved back to in-person teaching in September with our Design Thinking for Sustainability course. And I was so excited to be in a physical space with like actual students in, in the room. And I think, you know, we had all of the materials, all of the supplies there. And I think it was just a totally different energy to Zoom. But that's not to say that what we were doing in Zoom and the Zoom classroom and the approach of teaching on Zoom um, isn't good. I think, you know, 
literally overnight. We had to move from, I, I had a social entrepreneurship class in, in the O'Brien Center for Science on the, the 12th of March, and next day we were I, online. I, I think we've, you know, in the past two years, find ways to make online learning engaging. You know, we have students running to their kitchens to, to grab a kitchen utensil, weave them, uh, prototyping, uh, recreating famous artworks out of items in their house. So I think there are ways that online learning can be powerful. I think it's, it's certainly different. It's not the same, but I don't think it, it means that there is no value in it. And I think in some ways it opens up education to a much wider audience. Uh, we had a previous year's Design Thinking for a Sustainability course was delivered online. So we had students from all over Ireland taking part in that, which was great because you got uh, perspectives and um, you know people from, from all over the country joining in. So I think you know looking ahead, it'll be a mixture. I think we'll continue to do some teaching online where it provides value to the students. Um, but I think we'll, we'll certainly be uh, back on campus and I'm, I'm very excited about that myself. It's you know, great to be here today and have you know, a room full of students um, where you can see their, their full, full student selves. And I think it's uh, certainly yeah, nice to be back here in UCD. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and experiences today, Eileen. Thanks for having me along. Thank you for listening to this episode. The music used is Isa One Supernova from the Agafox label. See the description for links, credits, and license information. <laughs>